Ready. Okay. I mean, ready. <laughs> Close to the mic. There we go. So welcome to Redesigning School, which is going to be a podcast for parents, students, teachers, really anyone who wonders how we can make school better in order to prepare students for the world they're going to inherit, which is uh, increasingly... I don't know. What do you think about this world they're going to inherit? Right now, it's, it seems like it's on fire. There's, yeah, if you're in California, it's on right. fire. Um, all right, so I'm Terry DeBow. I'm an English teacher and uh, at Hawkins School, which is just outside of Cleveland. And I'm Julia Griffin. I'm assistant director of the upper school for teaching and learning at Hawkins, and I'm a humanities teacher. Well, yes, and uh, very experienced with that. I've been doing this for uh, 20-something years. Something like that. Um, how long have yeah. you been teaching? This is my 16th year. 16th year. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So this is our very first episode of this venture. And uh, Julia, first question is, why are we doing this? <laughs> um, good question. Well, I think it, at Hawken, we are um, we're always looking for ways to do school better, um, and to use a phrase of a mentor of mine. Um, and we, uh, so we're, we're always looking for, um, what is going to create the most meaningful learning experiences for students and really thinking about what students need. So it's kind of never enough to do something the same way that it's been done before. And so this show is just about opening the hood or, pulling back the curtain. You don't really know what you're going to see, uh, and hopefully it, uh, it's illuminating or at least uh, not dispiriting. But I do think that uh, one of the things that will be fun about this is uh, for parents, if anyone is interested, to realize that um, this is a process uh, that teachers go through as we try to create these educational experiences for kids. Um, and it's one of like constant negotiation with each other, with your own vision of what you want to do as, as a teacher, it's just a it's a very organic and almost uncontainable experience. At least that's Terry yeah. Bo's experience. Yeah, and it's and it's creative work. Right. Teaching is like right. it's always new and you always it's always different because you always have a different right. group of students in front of you. Right. Yeah. So let's start with this. Uh what worked well this week for Julia? Yeah. Or uh, didn't what 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 blew well, up? Well, yeah. Um it's the last week of the semester here at Hawken. And so uh, I think everyone is um, focused on making it to the end of the semester in, in some ways. But that said, the, there were a lot of great moments this week that I saw of student growth. So because it's the end of the semester, uh, there were um, a number of classes, our physics, humanities, design class, our architecture class, our engineering class, where students were doing the final presentation of the semester and having watched them through out um, since September, uh, it was amazing to see the ways that individual kids had grown um, and just the, the collective level of analysis, thought, um, critical thinking and reasoning um, and problem solving and communication. Do you think that it's because the way that those end of the semester projects are designed that because they have to be out there in front of people that you're going to see, you saw this much growth? Because my story is the opposite (laughs) of that. Um, Well, I do. And I think part of what it's interesting is uh, 
when I think about kind of an end of the semester project, like from when I was in high school, I imagine like you're kind of doing things all the way along and you're, you know, I'm a humanities teacher. So you're like writing papers, you're reading books. And then at the end you do a creative project. And these classes are organized around challenges all the way through. So it's not, you learn all this stuff and then you present it out. It's the challenge, working on the challenge is how you learn the stuff. And you have to share it out at the end to an audience, not just the audience of one, your teacher. Right. Which will this will get to our topic of the day, but I will tell you my version, which is yeah. I actually had a great class today teaching American literature. It was transformative. It was fantastic. But then I was reading uh, uh, a narrative analytical essay that was sort of the final big project they had to do, and you know there it was. You know all these skills and techniques that were absent in this person's piece of writing, and uh, one of the things that I don't know if other people feel or other people know, but at least for me, teaching is such an emotional act that when I read a piece that doesn't have what I want, I'm hoping they learn, I take it as such a personal failure, right? That how, what didn't I do to convince this person that it's important to articulate your argument early in your piece, right? That when you have an argument, it's not just an observation. It's a, it's, it's a big idea that you've questioned, you know, we've talked, we didn't I tell, explain this well, and theory, uh, evidently, no, because it wasn't in the, in the kid's piece. And uh, that was my feeling. So I have all these wonderful experiences in the classroom. And then I see the piece of writing, the final piece that they composed, and it doesn't reflect growth. And I wonder if it's some of it is because of the format. Right. Mm-hmm. For yours, there's a public presentation of it there. They have more at stake. There's an audience that not not of one. Right. And uh, for me, it was they needed yeah. to get this thing do, done because it was due on Tuesday. Well, and and I think also I agree with you as a teacher. I think we we invest so much in our students and we invest so much in teaching as a profession um, emotionally. But um, but the incentive for students the whole incentive structure is transactional right it's you show up you listen to mr dubow and you do the things he told you to do and you do enough of them that at the end he gives you a pretty good grade right and that's and that's it and it's not they don't like you they made right um it's not that you don't like your teacher and have a good relationship with your teacher but that your job in there as a student is to do enough to get the kind of grade you want right which gets us to our topic so in this little podcast we're going to do, uh, we're going to try and have uh, specific topics per, for every episode so people have a reason to, to keep listening. Um, and the topics are, are really there to explore as opposed to settle, right? Because when we talk about grades, our first topic, um, I don't think we're going to get to the end of it. No. No. Not today. Not today. But we are going to rethink it or we're going to initiate the conversation. Uh, about it. So I thought I would read to you, Julia, and to whoever's listening to this, um, this uh, excerpt from an uh, article that was published in 2014 in The Atlantic, and it was written by a teacher and an author named Jessica Leahy. Um, and this is, the, this is what she, so she started the article. She said, letter grades are a tradition in our educational system, and we accept them as fair, objective measures of academic success. However, if the purpose of academic grading is to communicate accurate and specific information about learning, letter or point-based grades are a woefully blunt and inadequate instrument. Worse, she says, point-based grades 
And here's a nice list of things that they do wrong. <laughs> Point-based grades undermine learning and creativity, reward cheating, damage student and peer relationships, tr and as well as trust in their teachers, encourage students to avoid challenging work, and it, uh, grades teach students to value grades over knowledge. Whew. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis Terry DeBow. So, Julia, uh, is this an accurate depiction of your experiences with grading? Well, that sounds terrible. It does not sound positive. No. And yet it is the organizational principle of every one of our academic experiences. So what do you think? Yeah, when I think about the best moments that uh, I've seen from students that I've had in class, um, I think that usually they've, they have happened kind of in spite of grades rather than because of them. Right. So, and I think that that's a kind of a majority opinion of teachers, I have to say. Like, I think when, it, when you talk to teachers about grades, they hate grading, not only because it's a lot of work, but yeah. because it's frustrating and they don't always feel like you with your student who didn't, you, whom, who, whom you wish could integrate quotations better, right? right? Like, that uh, it doesn't always feel like you're getting across to the kid. Right. Um, and, uh, and so... I think it, you know, and it feels sometimes like um, it puts you in a role as teacher that is not the role you want to be in, right? You want to be rooting for the kid on right. their side, like encouraging every student to grow. But grading puts the teacher in a position of being the ref or right. the judge and not just the coach. Right. And that is can be deeply frustrating. Yeah. Right. You have to wear both hats, and right. I think that's confusing for both students and teachers. Right. Um, okay, but has have grades ever worked? Have you yeah. ever had an experience where the grade was the thing that encouraged the young person to deepen his or her thinking, push him or herself across the finish line? <laughs> so I'm going to have to tell you that, and you can decide whether to cut this out. Um, I have to tell Keep you, it. I have to tell you the story that came to mind when you asked that, which is from one of my very first years of teaching, um, a student who. I, who, to whom I gave an 89 in participation. Julia. The dreaded 89. <laughs> I know. Because you're communicating something to them. <laughs> you really are. And but what are you saying? I know. And so he came to see me in my office. I remember exactly where we were standing. And he brought a friend. And he had the piece of paper on which he had written a self-evaluation of where he thought he was in his participation. He <laughs> gave himself an A. And I gave, himself, and I gave him an 89. And... Um, and had some very specific reasons why he his demeanor didn't match the description of a behavior, but he thought he was doing a great job. Came to me and asked me like, "What, what, Miss Griffin? I've been robbed. <laughs> like, what? Why did I possibly not get an A?" And right. I had to say, "Well, student X, um, you uh, get distracted and work on your physics homework uh, for next block while you're in class." That feels like a B. Uh huh. A B plus. You um you. Uh, sometimes have great, really interesting things to say, and there will be other whole days where you say nothing and you know don't interact with anyone. Um, so I really appreciate you and the and and the the moments that you have in this class, and I would love you for you to have more really good moments right. like that. And he looked me straight in the eye, crumpled up the piece of paper on which I had written the eighty nine, and proceeded to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> message heard yeah so i'm not sure that that's you know i i think that i think for a lot of students that 
uh, a grade can, it can be any of a number of things, right? It can be uh, a validation and relief, like, oh, good, I got it. I don't have to worry about that right. anymore. Um, it can be a form of praise, um, uh, which we know from the research of Carol Dweck is actually really complicated. Like, yeah. praise is not universally a good thing praise can be praise can be damaging it can communicate things to kids like you know uh, like about their intrinsic value (laughs) um and it can communicate that they have done enough and can stop working um it can communicate that they are a smart kid, for instance, right. which means that then at some later moment when they struggle, they worry that everyone's going to realize that they're not a smart kid. Right. So, you know, so it can all commu- these unforeseen, yeah, unintended consequences. Feels a lot like parenting. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's totally like parenting. Um, so uh, grades can communicate a lot of things, and in this case, I think it was communicating to this student that he thought he was there, and I didn't think he was there yet, and that was really frustrating to him. And then he couldn't grow. Right. I mean, and so if you go back to the heart of what education hopes to do, it hopes to create artificial environments often, sometimes they're authentic environments, that will inspire growth. Right. um, So that people become more thoughtful, capable human beings uh, with maybe the possibility that they'll be good human beings, that because they're knowledgeable and and competent that they will be they will care for others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So these are all these abstract goals and to what extent does the grade facilitate that kind of growth or does does it interrupt it? Right, because clearly for this student in this case, which is, you know, entertaining, but it's not necessarily anomalous in terms of the impact of the right. 89 on a student. Um clearly it felt to him like the end of a conversation. Right. Judgment had been passed. It right. was done. Um, <laughs> He's, he will not be at your retirement party. No, probably <laughs> not. not. Raise a glass to Julia <laughs> Griffin in the end. But yeah, so yeah. so in what what she's saying is that you know grades are part of our system, and yet uh, and they're accepted as sort of intrinsic and central to the experience of ed- becoming educated. But they have all these uh, negative consequences. Um, many of us know those negative concepts maybe viscerally even if we haven't articulated them Mm -hmm. um but you know it's one thing to identify all things that are wrong but we have a system that is based on grades and grades turn into numbers and numbers turn into other numbers and all of a sudden you have a three point what or a four point this and then so what do we do about it do you have any thoughts about this system um that is based on this uh, dynamic that we've just described. Sure. So, you know, I think that what grades are, what grades are good for is ranking and sorting things. Right. And if your primary purpose is to rank and sort things, then giving them grades is actually a great idea. Like this is where we have grades of meat, for example. Right. Um, and I, I think about, do you know the Wendy Wasserstein play, Hi- the Heidi Chronicles? No. Yeah. It's um, another thing I haven't read. <laughs> well, don't worry. My list of things I haven't read is very long. Yeah. But um, but there's a character um, named Scoop. In, I don't know why. Uh, in that play, who goes around rating everything? He'll like eat a chip, and he'll be like, mm, "Yeah, uh, B plus taste, C minus texture." You know, like <laughs> right. he gives gives grades to everything. It's great for ranking and sorting things compared to other things. Right. But that but what we know is that that's not actually what is best for learning or growth, right? right? And all you have to do to think about that is to imagine. So my dad was a basketball coach for 40 years, uh, college basketball coach. And can you imagine at halftime, my dad brings all the players into the locker room and says, okay, you, 
A minus, U, C plus, U, B minus. Okay, good talk. <laughs> go, go, go get them, right? I mean, when you, uh, if you want to support p- people and help them grow, what they need is feedback. Right. What kids need is, need is feedback. What adults need is, right, is feedback, right? You need trust that comes through relationships that you build over time. And then feedback that is, positive and oriented toward growth right not all of the things you didn't do well right but what are a couple things you did do well that you could do more of what's the best part of this paper and how could you do more of that you know so um but what do you do about deficiencies then yeah so what i would say is i think there's a there's a lot that you can do with models and examples Mm -hmm. that helps to get at deficiencies um, like, do you see how he or she does it here? Yeah. So you, everybody in the class, so this was an example of something we did this um, fall. So everybody in the class writes their first lab reports. Um, and then we bring in some examples that were really strong. Students, I mean, you know, English teachers, we've right. done this kind of thing before. But um, and it usually... In a graded environment is terrible because they're like, oh, she's the smart one. She got right. an A. Right. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, and they're like, oh. Uh, right. She always, it's always she, Amanda. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's always an Amanda. <laughs> exactly. So true. Um, but when, and that's when you're giving everybody else's papers back with the B minuses and the C pluses right. and the everything else, right? But if everybody gets um, their lab report back, And maybe they have some feedback. Maybe they have some things circled or question marks or things like that. Or honestly, maybe first they just get their lab report back without feedback at all. Mm. And you say, okay, let's all take a look at this anonymous lab report. Right. And and then we look like, how does she set up the the methods section? Hmm, interesting. Look at the way that that this this writer lays out the information. Wow, that's really interesting and really clear. Hmm, okay. Um, And then, you know, and then let's look at this other section and you see a model that's effective. And then you look again at your own, like, huh, okay. Hmm, my organization's really confusing. I just started with the first thing I thought of and I kept writing. Okay, what can I do about that? And then you get to revise it and you take the layer of either shame out of it of I'm dumb, I can't write, or you take the layer of um, what I would say is maybe a little bit of complacency out of it of I got an A, there's not really much for me to do here. Or I'm cool with a B B plus. Or that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've already gamed it. I know my GPA I'm shooting for. Right? (laughs) Right. B plus here, A minus there. That keeps the parents off my back. Yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, it, 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 creates an environment where you kind of have to grow (laughs) yeah because otherwise you're wasting your time i mean and uh, And you can see how to get there right because i think you know there was a teacher who was describing to me the other day a student who took 40 minutes on a quiz and then still you know there was like a paragraph writing and then still had just not done it very well but had doodled all over the borders and you know, when you try to get at the head of that kid and think, what are they, what's making them do that? I deeply believe that students are, are doing their best most of the time. Right. And so, honestly, I think they're doing the best that they know how to do or that in a situation like that. And so she probably doesn't know what to do. And right. that's why it isn't better. If she knew how to do better, she would do better, right? Right. I think human beings, fundamentally, we want to have that sense of mastery of something. We want to do something and see ourselves growing and getting better. Right. And if you get feedback that you can't grow or that you're not there yet, 
that's mm-hmm. I think some of the even if as teachers we think oh we're going to give formative feedback you know mm-hmm. at this moment we mm-hmm. think that you're this it feels some of the, it feels like these are declarations like oh I'm I'm a B mm-hmm. I'm a mm-hmm. B I'm a B plus I'm an C plus I'm an A yeah. minus and so there's it's very difficult to identify how you're going to grow because you just get confirmation that where where you are right and I would say. Yeah, I think hearing that you're not there yet tied to those numbers and letters has a different impact than just you're not there yet, right? Because there right. is there's the moment of translating it to a number or a letter that I think makes it feel more final. Right. So there's really and there's really interesting research on this too, right? That their research um that had one group of students who got only feedback on their papers, one group that got feedback and uh, I think it was a letter grade at the same time, and one group that only got the grade, um, and then looked at which group um, sort of learned the most and did better in the future, and the group that only got the feedback um, did way better than the group that got the feedback and the grade. Sure. Because, and we know this as teachers, right? What happens when you give a student back a paper? What do they do? They just go to the number. Right. They go to the grade. Right. And the, there are the rare exceptions of students sure. who conscientiously read through all the feedback first, but that's really the exception. And, you know, teachers, I believe, are also always doing the best they can in a system that isn't ideal. Right. Like I think of a colleague um, here at the school who will give back papers with only the feedback for the first paper of the year, and then you have to come meet with her to find out what your grade even is. Right. If you want to. And I, not everybody does. Right. So I do it where I I use a rubric. I give feedback. I put a number, and then I do a screenshot of it, throw it into a Google Doc. Then I erase the number. Yeah. And I, then I release it. They have to read all the feedback, do a top 10 list of things they'll do better next time, and then I release the grade. I thought this was brilliant. Yeah. Turns out he still doesn't know how to integrate quotes, even though I told him <laughs> three times. So I think what we're running into as we try to move this conversation towards what to do is – that this system, even when you're trying to do it conscientiously, there's it seems to interrupt growth. Maybe it creates an environment where growth actually isn't the goal for mm-hmm. for, for some students. Um, and then trying to interrupt that to say, oh, no, 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 guys, we're trying to grow um, can be really complicated. So um, one more question about grades, and then we'll sort of uh, end the conversation without finishing it. Um, uh, what about – I mean, one critique of this critique is like, wait a second. Like, grades have been around for a long time. Sure, we can identify the flaws and all of that, but they they motivate, right? They, you know, people want the better grade. They want the grades to turn into numbers that they can present to colleges and they get to the better. So, yeah, it's easy to point out all the deficiencies, but why don't they work as motivation? Or do you think they can work as motivation? So, I, so I think the... For me, the work of Daniel Pink is inspiring Mm -hmm. on this note um, and was uh, illuminating to me. So probably you know this from Drive by Daniel Pink, right? Probably a lot of people who are listening would would know that name too. Um, In his work, um, what he distinguishes is between type I motivation and type X motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, And type X motivation, X for extrinsic, um, is – the kind of carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments type of motivation, right? Like you you ask somebody to do a task and you tell them that you'll pay them a certain amount of money if they, you know, based on how how much of it they do or how well they do. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that, and, and to me in teaching, grades are a form of extrinsic sure. motivation, Absolutely. right? Um, and it's that external outcome. And when you're talking about simple, routine, 
kind of not so cognitively challenging tasks, extrinsic motivation works pretty well. Right. Um, so if you need somebody to chop wood or to <laughs> um, to uh, file you know, papers right. or something like that, and you wanted to pay them by the paper, then probably it would be a little bit of a motivator. Um, you would get maybe slightly better results if you paid them, right. or that kind of extrinsic motivation. But for work that is creative, challenging, in any way open-ended, um, that requires problem-solving or more complex thought, actually the extrinsic reward and is demotivating because it's distracting. Mm -hmm. Because the person who's trying to do the task I, I would hypothesize is thinking more about the reward than they are about the task and they're thinking or the punishment. I've had definitely had students who've or been the punishment. like, I was thinking about doing this, but I don't know if I'll do it well enough to get the great. So I'm thinking I'm going to go in this way that, right. So right. it's like, I'm at this fork in the road where I could like, I could pursue an idea that I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's, I'm actually really interested in it, but I worry that it's going to have negative consequences, which then puts the teacher in this position like, well, okay, well, I want you to do that, but then I can't lower my standards. Right. You're making a rational choice in that right. moment as a student, right? And teachers, again, like bend over backwards to try to come up with workarounds for the right. system. So a few years ago, I had, and I, I saw this idea from a teacher, um, I think it was a college teacher online, who had a, you know, 10 or 15% of their grade was all about sort of risk taking and stretching the boundaries. Right. So that would that would reward that student who right. did something more challenging or more open ended or, or complicated. Right. Um but it's all like tweaks to right. a system that um doesn't lend itself to right. to that. Right. But so intrinsic motivation you think is you're easier it's easier to access that if you don't have these rewards and punishments? Like do you think a student would really care more if the grade wasn't there? So I believe that people naturally are curious and want to learn. Yeah. Right. And I think um, I have a five-year-old daughter. And uh, when I watch her sort of play with toys or try to figure out um, she has a little she has a little robot um, that she can try to train using an app on the iPad. And she'll be trying to figure out the app. And when I watch her try to figure something out, her natural inclination is to want to do it and want to get better at it. Um, and I think that what we do in the course of schooling is we systematically train that out of people. So yeah. by the time they're 18, that natural curiosity and wanting to learn something just to learn it has been pushed to the margins of school. Yeah. So they still find that kind of satisfaction in learning new skills, but often in co-curriculars in the arts, sure. in other places rather than in academic classes. Yeah. And sometimes there are teachers who are able to access it, and those are the teachers that become the great memorable teachers. But in some ways, it's the, it's the easiest kind of teaching, right, in that you're just accessing natural curiosity and trying to um, uh, eliminate the obstacles to, to it, mm -hmm. but, um, which I guess isn't easy, but it's not, it's not brain – surgery i can't do brain surgery it seems really hard <laughs> right but um but there's just something relational about those kind of teachers who are trying to access your students curiosity or their intrinsic interests um but they have to be liberated in some way right they, they've yeah. got to they've got to figure out elaborate workarounds or they have to like ignore certain requirements in order to get in order to access it so we have a system that you know, it works for a lot of students. I mean, we have, let's be clear. I mean, Hawkins is a great school. Kids graduate here. They go to school. They're transformed. We, I don't think what we're doing here is, you know, trying to overthrow um, the system necessarily. 
Maybe. No, I don't um, <laughs> But we're, we're definitely wondering what to do. I also think that uh, there are things that we can do in school to channel um, that curiosity and focus it. Like, I'm not – to me, I don't think we should only have – school five days a week where <clears throat> everybody comes in and just works on whatever is interesting to right. them because that, that actually is a pretty good approach in preschool. Right. But it's, but somewhere between preschool and when you walk into your first job, you have to learn to be able to incrementally over time do tasks that sometimes aren't just the things you chose. Right. Right. And so I do think there are ways that we can channel and orient students toward tasks or problems that need to be solved right. and have those be um, drivers of their curiosity right. and motivators. Right. And now we're back to the beginning of our conversation in some ways that there is an element, I believe, of not only – I think sometimes it's great to do a thing that's in, just because it's interesting to you. Right. But I also think that there's an element of learning to solve a problem that matters to somebody else – that is key. Right. It's really it's key to developing your own empathy. It's key to developing your own skills and to seeing something that's greater than just yourself. Right. Yeah. And the idea that we're exploring now is whether grades can enhance or in inhibit that. Yeah. And uh, to me, that I guess it really my point here is that if we're talking about whether the the grades are the supreme motivator, I would submit that working on something that matters to somebody else can be a really powerful motivator also. Right. And, and perhaps one that cultivates students' humanity in ways that are, um, that are really even more powerful. Yeah. Well, so we've settled it. Oh, good. Yeah, that's over. So next, uh, <laughs> next episode we'll talk Done. about yeah, something else. So that's episode one of Redesigning School. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. You can check us out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and uh, feel free to come to our website, redesigningschool.org. We've also given you an opportunity to ask questions, leave comments, request topics, shower, with, shower us with compliments or, or the opposite of compliments. <laughs> um, so anyway, thank you, Julia. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back later.